0: Good morning once again. I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine that you walk into Starbucks and you order your favorite drink, a caramel macchiato venti skinny. You give the, uh, you give the guy at the register a $20 bill and he gives you back like a dollar and a half. Yeah. And you go and sit down. And then all of a sudden, you see Jesus Christ walking into Starbucks. And Jesus pulls up a chair at your table. And Jesus says, You can ask any question that you want to ask. And you look at Jesus straight in the eye and you say, Jesus, what do you think about the church today? What do you think about the lives of Christians today? Jesus, you can say anything about the church. You can say anything about the Christians today. What would you say? Now, what do you think Jesus Christ would say? We don't have to wonder. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So his message of hope and encouragement and strength, never changes. So the message that he gave to the first century church is just as applicable to our church today. It's like Jesus sitting here saying, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you how I feel. Now last week, we studied the church at Ephesus. And Jesus Christ came to the church at Ephesus and he told them this. He says, you're doing some incredible things. You're staying busy, but you're not doing the best things, and that's loving me. He said, you're going through the motions. You're serving me, but you're not loving me. He says, you've forsaken your first love. Then he said, remember, remember, remember when you're those passionate for Jesus Christ, Then he said, repent. Repent from what caused you to fall in the first place. Then he says, return. Return back to the basics. Now this morning, we're going to look at the church of Smyrna. And we're going to look and see what Jesus says about a suffering church. What Jesus says to a suffering Christian. My desire for us this morning is that we listen to Jesus Christ as he speaks to the suffering church 2,000 years ago and we realize that his words are just as real just as fresh just as personal today I want you to think about one thing before we begin when you face tough times when you're suffering look up and look ahead When you do that, you can face suffering. Now, we all face suffering. Some more, some less, but we all face suffering. The key question this morning is how are we going to handle it? How are you going to handle when a family member suffers? How are you going to handle it when a child of yours suffers? What are you going to do? When you wonder how, I want you to picture Jesus Christ sitting across from you from Starbucks. And I want you to picture him looking you straight in the eye and saying, Let me give you six things, six truths about suffering that will change your life forever. If you have your Bibles with you... I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to begin reading in verse 11. To the angel of the church of Smyrna write... These are the words of him... Who is the first and the last. I want you to circle the first and the last. Who died and came to life again. I know... Circle, I know. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know, circle, I know again, about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid. Circle that. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, circle, I tell you. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful. Circle, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you, circle, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Verse 11. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt, at all by the second death. The first thing that I want you to hear Jesus say is, I'm the first and I'm the last. Verse 8, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came back to life again. How can we be comforted in difficult times? How can you have peace in the midst of a storm? It all depends on what or who you're focused on. And Jesus Christ says, I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the eternal one. Jesus is God, has the last word. People may hurt us, circumstances overwhelm us, problems surround us, but Jesus Christ has the last word. As God, not, not only he knows the last page of history, but he orchestrates the last page of history. And I've read this book. I've read the end of this book. We win. We will be victorious. Next he tells us that he was dead and came back to life. Jesus defeated death so that we could defeat death. Death. For believers, we understand that physical death is not the end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, it says this. But there's an order in this resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest, the first fruit. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of all believers who have died. He's the first. He's the last. He's the eternal one. The second thing I want you to hear Jesus say is, I know. Verse 9, it says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. (laughs) Do you think Jesus Christ knows about suffering? Do you think Jesus Christ knows about difficult times? Let me paint a picture for you about the city of Smyrna. City of Smyrna was, a, was one of the most beautiful cities in the world. When Alexander the Great came in and he conquered the world, he had a vision to make Smyrna a model city, And after he completed it, it indeed was a model city for both beauty and in layout. Smyrna was a harbor town. It had one of the finest harbors in all the world and fleets from all over the world would come and trade with Smyrna. It was a political center. Smyrna was loyal to Rome. And Rome didn't forget about it. When the six cities competed for the Temple of Rome, guess who won? Smyrna. But the most important thing is that Smyrna was a religious city. It was a place where you could have any God you wanted, any pick of God you wanted. The most famous street in Smyrna was a street called the Street of Gold that ran right down the center of the city. And on both sides of the Street of Gold, it had pagan temples to gods. The most famous temple was the Temple to Caesar. Every citizen, once a year, had to go into that temple, walk up to an urn, get a pinch of incense, go into the temple and burn it. They had to say two words. Kaiser Curios," which means Caesar is Lord. Now for the people of Smyrna, that wasn't a big deal to them. They would just add Caesar to the list of gods that they worshipped Anyway. But for the small church in Smyrna, it was a problem. Because they took to heart the words of Jesus Christ in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Because of this, they experienced great suffering. Now what did Jesus say to them? Well, the same thing that he would say to to us. The same thing that he would say to our church, I know. I know. I know what you're going through. Jesus Christ, he knows about that doctor visit. He knows about that bad news you received. He knows. Jesus Christ knows about the pressures and the stresses that you're having at work. He knows. Jesus Christ knows that your marriage is hanging on by a thread. He knows. Jesus Christ knows about those unpaid bills. And your child has to get braces. He knows. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about this church. He knows the good. He knows the bad. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows. But he also cares. And he wants the very, very best for you. Here's some phrases that you'll never hear come out of Jesus' mouth. Here's some phrases that you'll never hear Jesus say. I didn't see that coming. He knows. You'll never hear Jesus say, man, that was a total shock to me. He'll never say that. You'll never hear Jesus say, man, you got to be kidding me. He'll never say that. You'll never hear Jesus say, run that by me one more time. He knows. Why? Because Jesus, who is God, knows everything. He knows everything that's going through your life right now. You're not going through it alone. You may feel alone. You feel like no one knows. You feel like no one cares. Can I tell you something? That is the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, Jesus Christ knows more about your problem than you do. Man that brings me great comfort. When Jesus says, "I know," and then he turns right around and he says, "I know," that implies that he understands. He understands what you're going through. So he not only knows, but he understands. He understands what it is like to be falsely accused. He was falsely accused. Jesus understands what it's like to have your best friend turn on you. His best friend turned on him. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be rejected and to be humiliated. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be whipped and to be beaten beyond recognition and to have a crown of thorns placed on his head because he went to the cross. Don't ever underestimate the cross. Jesus understands. Do you think Jesus can relate to your problems? Your trials, your tribulations, your headaches, your heartaches. Hmm. I want you to picture Jesus looking at you, saying, I know, I understand. The third thing that Jesus says, He says, do not be afraid. Verse 10 do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's one of the most common phrases in the Bible. I got to be honest with you. When I go to the dentist, I get sweaty palms. And Jesus is telling me, do not be afraid. How do you do that? How do you handle that? Do not be afraid. Well, when Jesus is saying do not be afraid, he isn't saying that suffering doesn't hurt, because it does. He's not saying that life isn't difficult sometimes, because it is. But these are real words, words. These are, he's telling us in a real world statement. See, a fake Jesus would say this, do not be afraid because everything's going to be okay. Do not be afraid because life is going to be perfect. Life is full of smurfs and rainbows. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I get a little nervous. I get a little scared when I see that second part of that verse. Because he didn't say, do not be afraid you're not going to suffer. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what? Of what you're about to suffer. Some people think that the moment you pray to receive Jesus Christ, that all your problems, your heartaches, your headaches, they all go away. That's simply not true. In fact, Jesus Christ promises trials and tribulations in your life. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, If you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. And in John sixteen thirty three, he says, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because I, being Jesus, have overcome the world. There's two things to remember about not being afraid. The first thing to remember is, not being afraid doesn't mean you don't feel anything. What it means is you can trust Jesus in everything. Some people think that not being afraid means there's no feeling of fear. You kind of just wander through life. Some people think that's how Jesus lived. (laughs) Have you ever seen some of those old movies about Jesus? Some of those really old movies about Jesus? Now, I'm not making fun of Jesus, I'm going to make fun of those old movies but when you see Jesus in some of those old movies he looks like he's on drugs or something and he doesn't look alive he doesn't look like he's engaged in life he doesn't look like he has any emotions can I tell you that's not the Jesus that I read about in the Bible probably the most scared that I have ever been in my life November 2nd 1992 Garrett Our son was born. He was two and a half weeks overdue. Uh, They realized that my wife would probably not have Garrett naturally. They scheduled an induction on November second. So we we have an appointed time to be at the hospital. We've already loaded up the car. I get in the car. We go down the highway. And I'm going about 85, 90 miles an hour the whole way to the hospital. My wife looks at me and says, what are you doing? I'm not in labor. I run a red light. I stop, slow down, run a red light. And she says, would you please slow down? And you know what? I said, you know what? For all my life, I've seen these movies where your wife's in labor and you get to go as fast as you can down the highway. And you get pulled over and you say, my wife's having a baby. And they give you a police escort to the hospital. I wanted that. I did, I got, that's the truth I wanted that so we get to the hospital they, they put Tracy on Pitocin and they try to induce her and we go all day long and they realize that we're not having a baby so they said we're going to have a cesarean so at 6.32pm we have Garrett a couple hours later I was with this newborn child Garrett. And I'm holding him. And I'm looking at him. His little hands. Isn't that amazing? Little fingers. Little ears. Little tiny nose. Now Garrett was two and a half weeks overdue, so he was he was a he was a big boy. His eyes were wide open. And I was looking at him. I began to weep. It was a tender moment for me. Because I realized that I didn't know how to be a daddy. And I cried out to God. I said, God, you and I both know I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a daddy. I need you. I need your help. Show me. You see, I was afraid. There was a great deal of emotion. The second thing to remember about being afraid is being afraid of being afraid. I call this the what if game. What if this happens? What if that happens? That's being afraid of being afraid. My wife's good at this game. We can be watching the news and there'll be an auto accident on the news. My wife will immediately pick up the phone and call Garrett and call Jessica. 100% of the time. 100%. It's hereditary. Now, Jessica, when she hears the siren... She's at college. When she hears a siren, first thing she'll do is call mama. She'll call me. If I don't pick up the phone, she'll call mama again and say, Where's daddy? Where's daddy? Daddy's okay. I just talked to him. He's not. He's okay. True. This is true. Two weeks ago, my wife sent a video to both our children on how to survive if your car goes off the road into a lake, how to get out of the car house safely. That's the truth my son immediately texts back to me, Mom is crazy. (laughs) There's a word for that. And it's not crazy. It's actually love. Because my wife loves our two children. But that's not the word I'm looking for. The word I'm looking for is worry. When you think about something that has never happened or may not ever happen that's called worry I've discovered this God doesn't give us strength for problems we don't have God gives us strength for problems that we do have you'll never philosophize yourself out of fear you'll never argue yourself out of fear but you can trust yourself out of fear Why? Because ultimately God knows it all. He is always there. One of the greatest promises in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. A fourth thing eye to eye that Jesus says to us. I tell you. Verse 10 says I tell you. Now, when Jesus says something, what does he have to say? Light. Because Jesus is the light of the world. So when you're going through difficult, dark times, there's light. It's Jesus Christ. We're not left to struggle in darkness. The Bible, God's word, is Filled with light. In just these verses, we see some light. About four kinds of suffering that we go through as believers. The first thing that we see is poverty. Jesus says, I know your poverty. Now, why were these Christians poor in a rich city? Because they were Christians. They were persecuted both economically and financially. The second thing slander Jesus says I know the slander of those who are in the city can you relate to that can you relate people talking about you can I tell you a secret don't tell anybody (laughs) if you don't want anyone talking about you don't do anything just don't do anything but the moment that you decide that you want God to use you to change the world, that you want your life to count, people are going to criticize you. Get used to it. Third thing, prison. Jesus has put some of you in prison to test you. Throughout Christian history, there's been literally thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians who've seen the inside of a prison. All you have to do is read church history. Just look at the disciples. The fourth thing is death. He says, be faithful even to the point of death. You may say, well, that was then, this is now. Do you know it's estimated that over 100,000 Christians are killed each and every year because of their faith? And Jesus says this, I want to give you light. There's a lot of light in the Bible If you're suffering and you need some light Start with the small things Read through the Psalms Listen to what David says In the midst of great trials One of my favorite verses in the Bible Psalm 23 verse 4 Even though I walk Through the valley Of the shadow of death I will fear no evil Why? Because you're with me Read through the epistles. Read through the epistles of the New Testament. And you can read about those first century Christians, how they were persecuted, but Jesus Christ gave them strength. Jesus Christ will give you strength. The fifth thing that Jesus says, verse 10, be faithful. Be faithful. In the midst of persecution, Jesus Christ didn't say, cheer up, everything's gonna be okay. He said, cheer up, it's gonna get worse. Right now, right here, I want you to settle something about God's faithfulness in your mind. I want you to settle that God is faithful all the time. No matter what happens, He is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1 9 says, God, who has called you to share everything with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3:3 says, But the Lord is faithful and will give you strength and will protect you from the evil one. You need to settle something in your mind that He is faithful. Faithful doesn't mean that he owes you a perfect life. Faithful doesn't mean that you won't have struggles. But faithful means that you can trust Jesus Christ to keep his promises. Remember the Old Testament story, Elijah? He didn't have it easy. A faithful prophet. He was fed by ravens, chased by the queen, challenged by false prophets, then taken in a whirlwind to heaven. What about Daniel, thrown in a lion's den? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, thrown in the fiery furnace. John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Every single one of the disciples died horrific death with the exception of John who wrote this book who was exiled in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I could go on and on. Let me share a story with you. This is a great story. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, it tells the story of Polycarp. Now, Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna at 155 AD. Now, he loved Jesus Christ. Well, the Roman officials, they came and they captured Polycarp. They took him to the middle of the city and they brought him in the amphitheater. And they said, we want you to denounce your faith and we want you to bow down before Caesar. Caesar. They tried to make it easy on him. They said, we know you're an old man. Just bow down quickly. It'll be okay. Now what Particarp said was some of the most famous words in all of church history. He looked at those Roman officials right in the eye and he says this. 86 years I've served Jesus. and He never did me harm. How can I blaspheme the king who saved me? Then the Roman official said, we are going to burn you alive. He responds, you threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked and the judgment to come. Why are you waiting? Come do what thy will. What a gorgeous picture of faithfulness. God has been faithful to me. God has been faithful to me for 39 years. That's not my birthday. But that's how long I've been a Christian. And he's never done me any wrong. How long has it been for you? One month, three months, six months, one year, five years, ten years, fifty years... Has Jesus Christ ever done you any wrong? He's faithful. He's faithful. Your life may not be perfect, you may have struggles, but He is faithful. When you settle the issue of God's faithfulness in your heart and you realize that God has never done you any wrong, then and only then can you be truly faithful to Him. Does that make sense? I want you to say something for me. I want every one of you to say this. He is faithful to me. Every one of you. He is faithful to me. And then I want you to say something else. I will be faithful to him. I will be faithful to him. Jesus will also say this in the when you face difficulties. The sixth and final thing. He says... I will give you. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. (laughs) See, in the future, for us believers, there's going to be a crown of life. Now, there's some things that we'll never understand while we're here on this earth. The most asked question to Christians today is, Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow me to suffer? Why does God allow my loved ones to suffer? In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. You see, you can't find the answer to that question here on earth, it's in heaven. The day that you stand before Jesus Christ. The day before, the day when you stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, and He takes this crown of life and He places it on our heads, we will understand it all. Every moment of it. I was thinking about this, these Christians at Smyrna, two thousand years ago. And I was thinking that and just picturing them walking down the city of Smyrna, walking down this street of gold, and they were seeing all these pagan temples lined up on both sides. Now these pagan temples were called jewels in the crown of this street. They probably felt pretty inferior. They felt weak. They were poor. They felt powerless. But you know what's so amazing? That's not the end of the story. Because we're not reading about those builders of those temples, are we? We're reading about those Christians that walked that golden street today. They're walking a different golden street. The one that's in heaven. And they're celebrating a different crown. The one that Jesus Christ places on our heads. You know, when I look at our world, I see a beautiful place. I see a pretty fancy place. But it's nothing compared to what God has in store for us. First Corinthians two nine, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those that love Him. Don't focus on the temporal. Focus on the eternal. Look up, look ahead. You can face suffering. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Father, thank you for your mercy, for your love and your grace. But Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, you're light. You're the first. You're the last. You're the eternal one. Father, when, not if, but when we face suffering, God, I pray we look to you. We focus on you and you alone. Father, you say I know. You say you understand. You know what we're going through. Father, you tell us to be faithful because you're faithful to us. You love us in spite of all our sins and our flaws and our failures. You love us unconditionally. Mm. But the most amazing thing is we have something to look forward to. Crown of life. The day that we stand before the King of Kings and you place the crown of life on our heads greatest moment in our lives father god you i know in a in a group this size that there may be someone here some people here that says i don't quite understand it i don't quite understand what this crown of life heaven i know about jesus i know about heaven but i don't know about that personal relationship with jesus christ I would be amiss not to share. If you feel Jesus Christ tugging at your heart, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Ask for forgiveness. The Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Just admit it. Ask for forgiveness. Then believe, believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, took the sins of the world on, died on a cross. Rose three days later. We serve a risen Savior. Lastly, confess. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. He's first. He's our priority. Every decision we make, everything that we do, we look to you. And once we do that, just invite. Say, Jesus, come into my life right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.